All right. Nice, everything works. Happy Sabbath. <clears throat> kind of forgot this was Valentine's and a love weekend, so. But I thought, you know, my message is kind of right on cue, right? We want to all fall in love with religious liberty, so. <laughs> I hope you all fall in love with religious liberty by the end of my sermon. Uh, and if not, we can talk afterwards. <clears throat> uh, so with that, bow our heads. Another word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, it's a joy to be here. It's a joy, Lord, to be able to worship together. Lord, to have community and fellowship. Not in fear, Lord, uh, but just to be able to worship you in freedom, in spirit, and in truth, Father. Lord, I ask that you bless us now as we enter this uh, worship hour, Lord. Please give me your words. And may, they, may you only put your words in my mind, Lord, and not my own. And may the people hear the words that you want them to hear. May your spirit be present and felt, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, what is religious liberty? We're going to talk a little bit about religious liberty. So, as you heard, I'm a religious liberty attorney. And just a quick uh, background. Uh, last year, uh, one of my cases I was working on went up to the Supreme Court. The Groff case, it was against the post office. And that was a postal worker. He... Uh, keeps Sundays as his uh, day of observance. And, and the post office struck a deal with Amazon and wanted to, uh, people wanted the post office to deliver their packages on Sundays. And so my client, Mr. Groff, said, I can't do that. That's when I go to church. And they said, well, just come in afterwards and you can deliver packages uh, afterwards. And he said, no, actually, I keep all of Sunday as a Sabbath. And so they ended up uh, writing him up, and he, he was at the last step right before termination. He quit, and then we uh, filed a lawsuit. And so people asked me, how did you get to the Supreme Court? I was like, well, the way you get to the Supreme Court is by losing. <laughs> we lost at the trial court, and so we appealed uh, to the appellate court, and we lost at the appellate court, and so then we appeal to the Supreme Court. So that's how you get to the Supreme Court. You've got to lose first. So sometimes, you know, you have to lose in life to uh, gain. And so it's okay if you lose or have setbacks. Uh, so the issue in the case, uh, you know, when you get to the Supreme Court, you're not really deciding uh, your specific case. You're deciding a question about the law. And the issue was um, under... The law under Title VII, it says that employers can't discriminate uh, based on your religious beliefs unless it would be an undue hardship on the business. And the uh, Supreme Court had defined undue hardship back in the 70s as anything that's more than a de minimis cost to the business. Now, de minimis means trivial or nothing, right? And a hardship is something that's really hard. And undue hardship is even harder. So it didn't really make sense, um, the definition there. 
And so we argued to the Supreme Court that the way they had defined undue hardship wasn't correct, that a hardship means what it means, something that would be very difficult for the employer, that they should have to accommodate unless there would be a significant cost uh, or some sort of significant difficulty. And so we got a 9-0 decision, which was uh, very uh, hard to do in this polarized environment. We weren't sure that we would get um, some of the more liberal-leaning justices. Uh, but that helped a lot because then it kind of took away the whole uh, political element of the case. Because it wasn't really political. It was about you know, religious liberty for all. And that's what we you know, stand for as Seventh-day Adventists is religious liberty for all, uh, which is why we took the case. And so we need to remember that religious liberty isn't just for ourselves, for our beliefs, but it's for everyone, uh, for everyone's beliefs. And so we need to remember to stand up for everyone's beliefs. Now, religious liberty is kind of something we've taken for granted here in the United States because it's never really been much of an issue for us, uh, at least not during our lifetime. You know, the biggest issues are uh, whether you, the government can display a cross or the Ten Commandments or, you know, nothing that really impacts us personally, but there's a lot of people around the world that are suffering and a lot of Seventh-day Adventists in other parts of the world that are worshiping today in fear of their government. And we need to remember to pray for those people and uh, pray for strength and encouragement for them. So what is religious liberty exactly? Well, uh, here's a quote from Ellen White. It says, Our own land has become a battlefield on which is to be carried on the struggle for religious liberty. So she says, right here, you know, where we're comfortable, where we've never really had religious liberty fights, she says, it's to be a battlefield. The struggle for religious liberty to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience. And so this is really the essence of religious liberty, is to be able to worship God according to the dictates of your own conscience. You can worship God according to the dictates of your conscience, and you can according to yours, and everyone has the freedom to think and believe their own conviction, right? But it doesn't just stop there. It's not just the freedom to think and believe, but it's also the freedom to act on your conscience. If I just have the freedom to think and believe that the Sabbath is the Sabbath, but I'm not able to go and worship on the Sabbath, then that's not real religious freedom, right? And so religious freedom, religious liberty, is also acting out that belief being able to act out that belief. She says, Then can we not discern the work of the enemy is keeping men asleep who ought to be awake, whose influence shall not be neutral, but wholly and entirely on the Lord's side? Shall men cry peace and safety now when sudden destruction is coming upon the world, when God's wrath shall be poured out? And so we know that at some point, you know, from Revelation 13, that religious liberty won't be something that we get to experience here in the United States. And so we need to be grateful and thankful for that. And so what is religious liberty? I'm going to have, I have a little quiz for you here. How many of you think wearing a scarf is 
a religious liberty issue. Anyone here, anyone here wearing a scarf? Anyone? Okay, no one's wearing a scarf. It's too warm, I guess. Anyone think it is? Yes, maybe yes, maybe no. It's not. Who thinks it depends? Anyone thinks it depends? What about killing animals? Anyone think killing animals is a religious liberty issue? Maybe yes. Maybe no. Maybe it depends. What about wearing a skirt? Is wearing a skirt a religious liberty issue? Maybe yes. Maybe, maybe it's not. Or maybe it depends, right? What about lunch with a neighbor? Is having lunch with a neighbor a religious liberty issue? What do you think? Who thinks yes? Anyone think, no, that can't be a religious liberty issue? Or maybe it depends. What do you think? What about being vegan? Now that's a religious liberty issue, right? <laughs> or maybe it's not. Or maybe it depends. Well, let's see how you did on this quiz. So the Supreme Court found in the case EEOC versus Abercrombie and Fitch that wearing a scarf was a religious liberty issue. Miss Samantha went in to Abercrombie for a job interview, and she's a Muslim-American woman. And she went in wearing a hijab, and Abercrombie said, you know what, that's not really our, our look policy. It's not our look here. And so they denied her a job. Now, for her, that was a religious liberty issue. Now, if I had gone into Abercrombie and applied wearing a scarf, and they denied me a job, they could do that, because I'd be wearing it, I don't know, warmth, probably not fashion, but maybe a nice scarf, match my outfit. And so for me, it wouldn't be a religious liberty issue. But for Samantha, this was a religious liberty issue. And so Abercrombie was held liable for discriminating against her because of her religious beliefs. Had they discriminated against me and I filed a lawsuit, it would have been thrown out because that's not my religious belief. What about killing animals? There's a case, it's fun to say, Church of the Lukumi Babalu Ai. Anyone here ever heard of that church? Probably not. So this is the church where they practice sacrificing animals, mainly chickens, but sometimes goats and sheep. And this is a, a religion down in Florida, at least this church was, down there. And the city council there in the city of Hialeah, Florida, uh, one of their city council members found out that this was going on in, inside the city district, and they were a little upset. They were like, you know, this is a little offensive, you know, slaughtering animals and doing this worship service, you know. And so uh, they didn't really like that, and so they passed an ordinance there, uh, and the ordinance said that you can't can't kill animals uh, inside the city limits, except for slaughterhouses, hunting, fishing, pest extermination, euthanasia of stray animals, feeding live rabbits to greyhounds, etc. So they had all these exceptions, but if you were slaughtering an animal for a religious purpose, then, oh, no, sorry, you can't do that. And so uh, this case went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court like, even if you find, you know, the religious belief offensive, you know, you're still discriminating against their religion. And so, you know, uh, for me, you know, when I, you know, spray for bugs around my house, that's not a religious liberty issue, right? 
Uh, but for the church of Lukumi Babaluai, that was a religious liberty issue. This was hindering their ability to practice their religion. Even though it's not my religion, and even though it sounds a little gross and offensive to me, um, you know, it was still a religious liberty issue. What about wearing a skirt? There's some Adventists who wear skirts for religious reasons, and others that don't, right? And so it depends on why you're wearing a skirt. The EEOC filed a lawsuit against Georgia Blue. That was a restaurant. And they had an outfit policy where all their servers and hostesses had to wear blue jeans. It was kind of their theme. And uh, they hired uh, Miss Watkins, who was an apostolic Pentecostal. And she believed that women should only wear skirts or dresses. And so after she was hired, she, you know, they told her, hey, here's your outfit for you to wear tomorrow on your first day. And she's like, oh, you know, I can only wear uh, skirts and dresses um, due to my religious belief. And so uh, this went to the owner, and she told the owner, she said, look, I'll, I'll wear a, a blue jean skirt. Right? That sounds reasonable. Well, the owner didn't like it. It would have looked different than everyone else. And so he said no and fired her before she uh, got started. And so the EEOC filed suit and the owner lost for not providing a reasonable accommodation. So wearing a skirt for Miss Watkins was a religious liberty issue. But maybe for our other servers or hostesses, it wasn't. About lunch with a neighbor. Lunch with a neighbor. You know, there's a story in 1 Kings chapter 13 where the prophet's told to go and speak to uh, Jeroboam, I believe it was, and cry out against the altar, right? And he's told that, you know, whatever you do, don't turn to the right or the left, don't stop to eat, just go straight home. And so he went and cried out against the altar, and the king's, you know, was upset and pointed his hand, and his hand withered. And then he said, oh, pray for me. And so he restored the king's hands back to life, right? This great miracle happened through this prophet. And uh, the king offers, hey, you know, come to the palace. We'll have a nice meal. And he says, no, I can't. You know, God told me to go straight home. And he said, even if you give me a half the kingdom, I wouldn't come. And so he starts going home, but then another prophet comes and says, hey, God told me that you're supposed to come have lunch with me. Now, what should this prophet have done? He should have not gone, obviously, but he, he could have prayed to God and said, hey, God just told me to go to the king and not do this. Maybe I should ask God if this is what I'm supposed to do, right? Had God spoken to that prophet? He had, right? So he should have asked him, but he didn't. And he went and then... Uh, ate lunch, and later uh, died from a lion. And so God was trying to protect him. God knew that lion would be there. So wanted him to go straight home so he would live, right? And so for this man, having lunch with that prophet, that was a religious liberty issue because God had told him not to do it, right? And so a religious liberty issue 
It's not the belief that matters. It's why you have that belief. And a good way to look at this, at least from the court's perspective, is the vegan issue. And so there's two cases here I want you to look at. And the first one is Friedman versus Southern California Permanente. In that case, uh, this uh, gentleman was asked to get vaccinated, and he said he can't get vaccinated because of his because he's a vegan, and he doesn't put animal products into his body. And so, but he said the reason why he was vegan is because he believes in natural law, and that. You know we shouldn't kill things, and so the court said, you know, natural law isn't really a religious reason, a religious law, and so the court uh, denied his case and threw it out. But in a different case, Taylor versus Pelican Bay, there was a prisoner there who wanted vegetarian meals because he was a Seventh Day Adventist. And the prison was denying him those meals, uh, saying that we're not going to accommodate. And the court said, no, you have to accommodate because being a vegetarian, being a vegan for him, was a religious issue. And so uh, you have to accommodate. And so what the belief is doesn't matter. It's the reason why you have that belief. It's why you are wearing that scarf, or why you are vegetarian, or why you are doing whatever you're doing. And if it's for religious reasons, our founders and the people of the United States think that it's very important for us to protect people who have religious beliefs. Now, what if others from your own religion have a different religious belief? Then should those be protected? What do you think? If someone believes that they should be vegan or vegetarian, and someone, another Adventist believes they shouldn't, should, should those religious beliefs be protected, even though they're different, and they're both Seventh-day Adventists? Well, the EEOC says that it should. And I think that that is obviously right. Now, the EEOC is the federal government agency that protects against discrimination. And one of its regulations actually uses Seventh-day Adventist as an example of this. And it says a Seventh-day Adventist employee follows a vegetarian diet because she believes it is religiously prescribed by Scripture. Her vegetarianism is a religious practice, even though not all Seventh-day Adventists share this belief or follow this practice. And even though many individuals adhere to a vegetarian diet for purely secular reasons. And so this is very important. It's, it's, it goes to the foundation of why you believe what you believe, right? And so just because other people of your faith believe differently doesn't mean that you don't have a sincere religious belief and that it's not a belief that should be protected and valued. And even though other people are follow that belief, for secular reasons, doesn't mean that your reason for following it for religious reasons shouldn't be protected either. 
There's a Supreme Court case that also followed along this line of thinking. And there's a quote from it. It says, interfaith differences are not uncommon among followers of a particular creed. We know that to be true, right? We don't all think the same about every point of uh, belief or, or idea. And it says, and the judicial process is singularly ill-equipped to resolve such differences. The guarantee of free exercise is not limited to beliefs which are shared by all members of a religious sect. And so what the Supreme Court is saying is that just because everybody in your uh, religious uh, denomination or creed or whatever you follow, just because not everybody in it believes the same way you do, doesn't mean that that belief shouldn't also be protected. I mean, can you imagine if the court were to decide which members are, have the right belief? I mean, religious liberty would be gone. Because religious freedom would quickly amount to what the majority believes. Because the majority votes in our judges and our legislator and those who appoint judges. And so religious freedom would quickly perish in this country. But our Constitution, it wasn't designed to protect religious freedom of the majority. The Constitution is there to protect the religious rights and the rights of, and other rights, of the minority, right? The majority doesn't need protected because they're in the majority. They'll just vote the way and, and get what they want. It's the minority that needs to be protected. And so that's why we have a constitution to protect minority beliefs. And just as the German princes did in the Diet of Speyer in 1529, they said in matters of conscience, the majority has no power. And that's a belief that we hold to, that in matters of conscience, the majority has no power. Because our relationship with God is individual, right? And so we are to follow our individual beliefs. And so it's really the key is motive. The motive of why you are doing what you're doing or why you are believing what you are believing. This is a quote from the Second Circuit. It says, the question is whether the beliefs professed in the plaintiff's own scheme of things are religious and impulses prompted by dictates of conscience, as well as those engendered by divine commands are safeguarded against secular intervention, so long as the claimant conceives of the beliefs as religious in nature. So what the court's saying is that the court is just supposed to look and see, is this person have this belief because based on religion or is it based on other things like maybe it's a political or a scientific or some other reason why they have this belief. And so we must look at each individual, look at each individual why they are doing what they're doing. 
the Thomas Supreme Court case I quoted before, it says in a different spot, courts should not undertake to dissect religious beliefs because the believer admits he is struggling with his position. Now, this is very important because if you're struggling with your religious belief, that should still be protected as well, right? So even if you're struggling, maybe you're struggling with keeping the Sabbath. Maybe you're struggling at work. Your, your employer keeps asking you or scheduling you to come in on Sabbath. And, and it's a struggle for you. Or, or maybe, you know, you're barely making ends meet. And, and, and you need the income. And you're afraid that if you get fired, you won't be able to provide. Now, I want to encourage you to have faith and don't give in. You know, God says, in that honor me, I will honor. But... But we all struggle, and the court recognized that even if we're struggling with our religious belief, that that's still something that should be protected. Even if you're not perfect, the law doesn't require perfection. You know, and God also gives us forgiveness when we don't follow everything, when we've messed up, broken his holy law. And so... Even if you're struggling with your belief, you know, that, that belief is protected as well. What about health? Is health a religious liberty issue? What do you think? Yes? Or does it depend? You know, maybe for a lot of us, health is a religious liberty issue, right? You know, for the Adventists, that's kind of fundamental belief 22, Right? And, you know, as a Christian, we realize our, God, our body is God's dwelling place. And, you know, just as we wouldn't want the pipes leaking in our church and graffiti on the walls and the roof caving in, you know, we also want to take care of this body that is God's temple as well. Here's a quote that links godliness and health. You know, Peter tells us to abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Now, a lot of people look at this and maybe just think of it as sexual immorality. But Ellen White says it's more than that. She says, may regard this text as a warning against licentiousness only, but it has a broader meaning. It forbids every injurious gratification of appetite or passion. Let none who profess godliness regard with indifference the health of the body and flatter themselves that intemperance is no sin and will not affect their spirituality. And so here Ellen White is tying what Peter said between the health of our body and uh, how we treat it Affects, directly affects our spirituality. And so this is a religious liberty issue for those who believe that, that their health affects their spirituality. By living a healthy life, by exercising, getting the sleep and nourishment, and, you know, the eight laws of health, new start. By doing those things, you could have a a, a better spiritual connection with God. 
You can think more clearly. She says later on there in the quote, wrong habits of eating and drinking lead to errors in thought and action. And we know that the battle is for our mind. The battle between Christ and Satan is for our mind. And so what we eat and drink and put into our body affects this battle for our mind. So this is why we have to be careful and to abstain from things that would impact our ability to think clearly. We know in the story of Daniel that health was very much a religious liberty issue for him. This quote says, what if Daniel and his companions had made a compromise? You ever thought about that? You know, if Daniel had said, well, it's been a long walk across the desert. I just had this prisoner food and, you know, one good meal. That'd be okay, right? Look at these delicacies, deliciousness. And she says, if, if Daniel and his companions had made a compromise with those heathen officers and had yielded to the pressure of the occasion by eating and drinking, as was customary with the Babylonians, she says, what if? What if they had done that? Here's what she says. That single instance of departure from principle would have weakened their sense of right and their abhorrence of wrong. It's that one instance. You know, a lot of times we think, oh, it's just one thing. It doesn't really matter, right? But what is one step in the wrong direction does what? Leads its way to another, right? It says that one instance, it says indulgence of appetite would have involved the sacrifice of physical vigor, clearness of intellect, and spiritual power. One wrong step would probably have led to others until their connection with heaven being severed they would have been swept away by temptation. So friends, we have to watch every step, right? And be faithful with every choice. Because if we're not faithful with every choice, we start making exceptions for more choices, right? And then more choices. And then pretty soon when the big test comes, we're not able to stand there on the plain of Dura like Daniel and his companions, because we've been compromising with all these little choices from long ago. And so we built that habit of compromise. And so we need to build a habit of standing faithful, habit of following our belief and standing faithful for it. And also in our health and what we put in our body as well. Now, here's something, another question for you. What about vaccination? Uh-oh, right? Hot topic. I've had to deal a lot with vaccination. Is that a religious liberty issue? What do you think? Who says yes? Who says no? Who says it depends? Depends, right? Wearing a, a skirt a religious liberty issue? It depends, right? What does it depend on? It depends on why, right? The motive. It pained me during the pandemic to hear doctors and pastors and religious liberty issues say, this isn't a religious liberty issue. 
And maybe it wasn't for them. But what about the people who it was? You know, maybe wearing a skirt wasn't a religious liberty issue for that doctor or pastor or person. Or maybe killing animals wasn't. But it might be for others, right? It might be for others. And we can't make a blanket statement that this is or is not a religious liberty issue because it goes to motive. And we don't know other people's motives. We don't know why they're making the choice that they're making. Sometimes it's hard to determine, you know, why people are doing what they're doing. But we need to give deference on the side of believing what they say of why they're doing it. Because otherwise, if you don't, then you start to, religious liberty starts to lose ground. And we start to question everything. You know, and, and, and another thing we've learned, at least I've learned through the pandemic, is that religious liberty and religious motive isn't always in its neat little box, right? Like, oh, this is just a religious liberty issue. Sometimes issues cross over into different areas of life, right? You know, some people would say that how this world was created is a religious liberty issue. Others would say it's just a scientific issue, right? But some people would say it's both. Who created science? I believe God did, right? And so for me, how this world was created is both a scientific and a religious liberty issue. Because my views about science are shaped by my views about God. You know, God is first, and he made the science. At least that's my belief, what I believe the Bible teaches. And so there's crossover, and so it's not always clean and neat. But when we start telling people, you know, this is or is not a religious liberty issue, then we've lost the Protestant view, and now we've gone to this ecclesiastical view of religious liberty, which really isn't any religious liberty at all. And so here's what that kind of looks like. You have... You, the individual, and the individual answers to the church or medical whoever, doctor, and then they answer to God. And so if someone is telling you what is or is not a religious liberty issue, then that person is stepping between you and God, right? Now, this is the way some religious institutions are built, and that's fine if you're part of those religious institutions. But that's not how the Bible says our relationship's supposed to be. And that's not how we as individuals, as Protestants, view the relationship. You know, this also tends to lead towards religious intolerance. Because if you're not following the view that the institution says, then, you, you know, you don't really have a religious view, Right? And so, during the pandemic, we, at least I saw, a lot of this from the courts and from employers and society saying that, you know, if you don't have a pastor's letter that will vouch for your religious belief, um, then we're not going to 
uh, find that you have a religious belief. And so you had to get the stamp of approval from ecclesiastical body in order to have a religious belief. And I think that sends religious liberty backwards. I think that's very problematic. Even if we don't like the choices other people made or what they're doing, maybe it's offensive or harmful, kind of like killing animals was to the city of Hialeah. But we need to remember that our relationship is triangular. It's not linear. Our relationship with our church and our medical provider and whoever else is, is uh, horizontal, and our relationship with God is vertical, right? And there shouldn't be anything that comes between us and our relationship with God. This is the Protestant view and the biblical view. And so instead of saying, you know, vaccination or wearing a skirt or all these things aren't religious liberty issues, you know, we can try to persuade others of why we believe what we believe, show them in the scripture, pray with them. But we shouldn't have these absolute statements that, you know, that isn't a religious liberty issue because maybe they're convicted differently than you are. And we need to be accepting of other people that think differently than us. Because that's true religious liberty. If we only accept those who think the same way we do, then that's no liberty at all. And if we don't follow this method, this triangular view, then how can our church be united, right? How can we be united? There is this case, uh, McClure, he was an employee of the city and county of San Francisco, and um, he objected to the vaccination because of his religious beliefs. And they fired him for not getting vaccinated, so he filed a lawsuit for religious discrimination. And the court held that well, he had not asserted a sincere religious belief because his beliefs were not scientifically accurate. Now, I think this is very problematic because if our religious beliefs have to be scientifically accurate, who decides what is scientifically accurate? Is a seven-day, or I guess six-day creation, is that scientifically accurate? Thank you. I would say yes. But what would the court say, right? What would the majority of Americans say? And so if, if our beliefs have to be scientifically accurate to be religious beliefs, then that's not religious freedom. And so now, you know, you can see how, how this pandemic has kind of shifted, I've seen, in a harmful way. Society's thought that Religious beliefs have to be, you know, they have to pass this, this level of ecclesiastical approval or scientific approval in order for it to be a religious belief. And I think that's very dangerous to society. I think freedom is lost when other institutions or governments have to vouch for what is or is not a religious belief. 
And it places the church or the government between you and God as well. Here's a question. Can God's will be for someone to get vaccinated and someone else not to? Can it be that God's will is for someone to wear a skirt and someone else not to? Or for someone to be vegetarian and someone else not to? Hmm, these are tough questions, right? Kind of hard. How can so many people be adamant about something that God wants them to do when so many other people are adamant about the opposite thing? Is one of them wrong? Is God confused? Or could God just want different people to do different things? There's a story in Judges. Judges chapter 7. You remember Gideon was there gathering his army and there was um, too many people, right? Too many people to go fight the Midianites. And so God told Gideon, hey, bring everyone down to the creek, have them drink some water. And those that laughed it up, God said, those are supposed to go with you. And those that didn't weren't supposed to go, right? And so God told 9,700 people not to go fight the Midianites. But God told 300 people that you are to go fight the Midianites. Now, what if one of those 9,700 said, you know what? I want a piece of this action. I'm going to go anyways. What do you think would have happened there? You think God would have blessed? So, we see an example where God wanted one group of people to do the exact opposite of what he wanted another group of people. And so maybe sometimes God wants different people to do different things. And we need to respect the religious beliefs of others and them following the dictates of their conscience. Sometimes timing matters too. Maybe God wanted somebody to do something at a certain time, but later not to do it. Do we see that in the Bible? God told Jacob to go to Egypt. He said, I will bless you there. Go. Go down to Joseph, right? And so he told him to go down to Egypt. But for the Israelites in Numbers chapter 14, when they decided they were going to go back to Egypt, because those leeks and onions just were so good, right? They said, we're going to go back to Egypt. That wasn't the right thing to do, right? Even though God had told a group of people earlier to go to Egypt, for them, they weren't supposed to go. And so timing matters also. And so maybe at one point in time, doing something was what you were supposed to do, and maybe later it wasn't. 
So we shouldn't make decisions necessarily on what people did 100 years ago. I saw a lot of debate about this during the pandemic, what our religious founders did, what choices they made. But it's really about what God is telling each one of us based on our, and we need to be grounded in something, in scripture and prayer. And we shouldn't let the differences divide us. Here's a quote from Ellen White. That shall there be with the people of God the cropping out of the very same spirit which they have condemned in the denominations because there was a difference of understanding on some points, not vital questions. Shall the same spirit in any form of be cherished among Seventh-day Adventists the cooling of friendships, the withdrawal of confidence, the misrepresentation of motives, the endeavor to thwart and turn into ridicule those who honestly differ with them in their views. Did anybody experience any cooling friendships over the last couple of years? Mm. It was really sad to me. I saw churches split. Over, over non-vital questions like wearing masks, the vaccine. And we saw withdrawals of confidence. We saw ridicule of people who honestly differed in their views. These were of, of things that were not vital questions to our faith, that people were convicted of differently. And we, shouldn't have, we should not have argued about them. There are vital issues. Like that God did create the world. That the seventh day is the Sabbath. That marriage is between a man and a woman. These are vital issues that we hold. But masking and vaccination is not. And we shouldn't have let that divide us. Because we're supposed to be united, especially at this time in Earth's history. We as the Seventh-day Adventist Church are to be united because we have a very important message to spread the three angels' message. And how can we do that if we're divided about these non-vital issues? We can't. Jesus said in John chapter 17 that I wish that they would be one as you and I are one, he prayed to the Father. God wants us to be one. Satan knows that if he can divide us, he can weaken us. And so he sent the pandemic to weaken us. Did we let it weaken us? We did not let Satan divide us. Romans 14 tells us how to handle situations of non-vital importance. Helps us to navigate these, these hard times for issues that aren't vital. Aren't the foundations of our faith. 
says there, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. We should welcome one another, but, but not to quarrel with them about what they believe and why they believe it differently. And maybe they're weak in the faith. Or maybe we should consider maybe we're weak in the faith. Right? But either way, we aren't supposed to quarrel. Verse 2 says, For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. So all you vegans, you're all weak, right? <laughs> it's not really what it's talking about, but this isn't a sermon on that. But it says, let him who let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. And so we need to remember that we're each accountable to God. And that other person is following God in the best that they know how. At least we need to have that thought about them, right? And, and pray for them if they're not. It ends there in verse 10. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're all going to stand before God, right? And be judged. Judged on how we followed the promptings of his Holy Spirit. And so we need to remember that, that maybe God is leading that other person differently in their life. Or maybe that person's just not ready to handle what God has to reveal to them. Jesus said to his disciples, there's many things I want to tell you, but I can't right now because you can't handle it. And so, you know, God is working in different people's lives differently. And we need to remember not to judge them on those points, but to pray with them and to pray for them. And we can study with them too. And so Romans 14 helps us navigate these issues. How do we know God's will for ourselves in every decision? Well, this quote helps us. We must not, when fogged, make a venture and rush some way when we do not know it is the way of the Lord. We see no light, yet we create light in our own finite wisdom and follow human inventions. When the Lord designed that we should look to him, Seek counsel of him and at every step inquire of his word and seek him in prayer for light and knowledge. The Lord gives us an ecclesiastical experience. Whoa, whoa, wait a second. The Lord gives us an individual experience. Did you know God wants an individual relationship with you? God wants to speak to you directly, just like he spoke to Moses and Elijah and Daniel, and everyone else. God wants that relationship with you, and there was nothing special about those men. There were women too, Deborah, and, and, and Ruth, and others. You know, God wants to have an individual relationship with you. 
And we can have that by spending time in his word and by spending time on our knees. And he will give us direction in the way that we should go. He will guide us. For some people, that means moving away from Loma Linda. To others, that means moving to Loma Linda, right? But we shouldn't judge others for moving to California. And we shouldn't judge those for leaving California, right? But we should encourage them to follow where God is leading in their lives. And that is true religious liberty. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's standing at the door and knock. He says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him. God wants to come in to you individually. It's not, he doesn't come to your pastor and then you're friends with the pastor, right? It's not like that. God wants to be friends with you. And he wants an individual relationship with you. And that's religious liberty, is you following God's leading in your life. With that, we'll have closing prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, I'm so grateful that you want to get to know me and each person here, Father. And you want to lead each person here, Lord. You say there's a way that seems right to a man. Or you say that man guides, man plans his ways, but the Lord guides his steps. And so, Lord, you guide each one of our steps. Help us to listen to your voice, Father. And help us to allow others the freedom to listen to your voice in their lives as well, Lord. And Father, may we be faithful to what we hear you speaking to our heart and minds. And may we spend more time with you each and every day, Lord. We know that you are coming soon and that you want to spend eternity with us face to face, Father. We look forward to that day. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.